You're listening to KTOO News Juno. The following is a broadcast of Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event. The eight personal stories you are about to hear were told on September 9th at the Northern Light United Church. The theme for the evening was The One That Got Away. Music was performed by Travis Cruteau with Libby and Jesse Springer. This is a great start to our fifth season, and I thank you all for coming out here tonight. My name is Tom Cosgrove, and I'm lucky enough to be one of the members of the board of this organization to put this on. Mudrooms is a charity community event. You all had to pay a few dollars to get in here. Tonight, that money is dedicated, actually for the next four shows, to the Learning Connection. Um, and uh, four shows in the spring, we're going to be giving money to Meals on Wheels. And we have one show, the January show, which uh, the proceeds will be donated to a charity yet to be named. And so, uh, who knows, you may be able to influence that decision. So, This whole event would not take place without a lot of folks helping out. One of the folks we have helping out is K2, which uh, uh, lends us equipment, lends us space to edit the show, and then gives us airtime to actually um, broadcast. We also want to thank Copa, who provides the coffee, the Rookery, which uh, provides those wonderfully large cookies back there. And I want to do a shout out tonight to the Northern, Lights, Northern Light United Church, our home here. Okay, I want to do a quick shout out to the board that actually puts this together. Here they are in alphabetical order by first name. Alita Bus, Amanda Compton. Our new board member this year is Kristen Stouter, who's working the lights tonight. Pat Roach, who's back on the board this evening. Rich Moniak, Steve Suleen, and myself, Tom Cosgrove. In my opinion, the hardest thing that the board members have to do is recruit people to stand up here. And guess what? We need speakers for this season. So I want you to listen. I'm about to read the themes, and I want you to be thinking, oh, I got a story on that one. All right? Next month, haunted. November, and I know you all have one of these, shenanigans. December, Kindness of Strangers, Second Chances in January, Romantic Entanglements in February, in March, In Uniform, April, Back in the Day, and May, Whether or Not. And tonight's theme is the one that got away. It's time to uh, welcome our co-host, Amanda Compton and Alita Buss. Our first speaker tonight is Taylor Zablowski. He's a vocational storyteller, totally made up job. I think he actually works for Ellen Marine. <laughs> Remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? an astronaut, a doctor, a fireman, a vampire. Well, Taylor wanted to be all of those things. He's on the path to 50 different jobs and in the process telling some stories. Please help me welcome Taylor. Taylor. 
it's 6.30 in the morning, and school bus number 28, also known as the wackadoodle prison bus from Looneyland, rolls up to stop in front of me. I never thought I'd say it, but I just want to get to school. And today, we almost made it. My brother's tactic for surviving school bus number 28 is to pretend to be a corpse and lay up against the window with his headphones in. But I don't have an MP3 player, so my only option is to muse about the current state of reality television. I'm an emotional person, so my current show is Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Now, it used to be where they would just give some guy some new gutters on his house because he was a fireman or just a nice guy, but now, they're giving away flying mansions to one-eyed, one-legged pirate families who just adopted 17 children. <laughs> and all they wanted to do was get to the top of Mount Everest, but they couldn't because they didn't have a flying mansion. Now, I know that sounds judgmental, but that's the kind of thing that Bus 28 does to you. <laughs> we just moved to the backwoods of Virginia uh, for high school, and I didn't belong there at all. To put it simply, the kids there were buffoons. There was Crystal already on the bus. She had the most annoying, loud, cackling laugh all the time, and she had the unfortunate habit of bringing full-course meals on at 6.30 in the morning. Today, she had a plate of spaghetti with a fork. There was also Robert, who ran up and down the aisles of the bus like a 1920s newspaper salesman, put, telling the news about the high school. Uh, we move a little bit further, and I just want to get to school on this cold, icy, rainy day. The bus driver's name is Sonny, which is weird because that's the kind of thing the bus driver calls you, but he was a nice, harmless old man. Uh, we picked up Patrick, who said things only in obvious questions every day on the bus. Is this my bus? Yes, Patrick, said the entire bus. We also picked up the kid who sets fire to things, and I knew it was him because he didn't have any eyebrows today. <laughs> We keep going, but we're moving slower, and I wonder if Sonny has ever seen the movie Speed. <laughs> we keep going, but we pass by Ralph's house today because in the words of someone from the back of the bus, Ralph don't go to school no more. I didn't even realize that was an option until just now. We pick up the twins, Tanisha and Kanisha, who know, know more swear words than pronouns, but I'll replace them with vegetables for this because it's healthier. We up on this mother pumpkin bus, y'all, they said, as they hopped in. Like I said, buffoons. When suddenly, Sonny pulls off to the side of the road and we stop completely. Word quickly spreads throughout the bus via Robert that a bus has rolled somewhere in the county off the side of the road and all buses are ordered to stop until the ice melts on all of the roadways. Now we're in the middle of nowhere and that could take years and I just want to get to school. Uh, Gravity of the situation quickly sets in. A makeshift economy is set up whereby people are selling time with their iPods for actual money, but that's quickly destroyed by inflation. Uh, things are getting desperate. People are starting to eat their own lunches. Crystal's on her second plate of spaghetti, so you know things are serious. Uh, Pat, uh, Robert doesn't know where the beginning or the end of the bus is. Patrick starts speaking in declarative sentences. The twins are yelling about beets and Brussels sprouts and broccoli. And the kid who sets things on fire raises his lack of eyebrows, enjoying the whole situation. The twins rush the front of the bus because they realize that they're only 20 feet away from their house. But Sonny turns into an angry old man and won't let them off. Uh, the bus starts shaking, chaos fills. I crouch down in my seat and think, I'm not here, I'm not here. When suddenly, 
I realize that on the wackadoodle prison bus from Looney Land, it's not their problem, it's mine. Because I'm a part of this bus now, and unfortunately, I'm also a buffoon. But fortunately, I do know how to get us out of here. I stand up on the seat, and with all the charisma of Ty Pennington from Extreme Makeover Home Edition, shout, Sonny, move that bus! <laughs> Heads turn to look at me, but the chant catches on. Move that bus! Move that bus! Cheers erupt as the engines start, and we begin our treacherous return back home. Uh, Sonny, in my eyes, is no longer a helpless old man, but a vigilant captain. Crystal's cackle turns into an angelic symphony. Robert is a CNN news correspondent. <laughs> Patrick is Ken Jennings from Jeopardy. The twins soliloquize like Shakespeare, and the kid who sets things on fire still looks like he's going to set things on fire. <laughs> but Ralph has no idea what he's missing. I... I... It's a, it's a terrifying ride home, but I'm grinning the whole way back because even though I almost made it to school, I don't mind one squash yam bit. Our next speaker tonight is Melanie Brown. Melanie Brown has lived in Juneau with her two kids for five years now. Life circumstances brought her to this place, but a love of life in Southeast Alaska has caused her to stay. She migrates with her children to Bristol Bay annually to commercial fish for sockeye salmon and reunite with other family members who do the same. When Melanie is not fishing, she advocates for fish and clean water and makes good food from the land and sea. Her favorite way of being out on the land is to glide on it with skis. Please welcome Melanie. When it comes to fish, and I mean real fish, not figurative fish, I don't worry too much about the ones that get away. And that's because I commercial fish in Bristol Bay every summer with gill nets. Um, and yes, we lose some fish over the gunnels sometimes when we're pulling our gear across the gunnels. But when you, you measure your catch in tens of thousands of pounds, it's kind of hard to worry too much about the ones that did get away. And uh, about halfway through my life, I, I made a conscious decision not to focus my thoughts um, in, the, in the direction or orient them towards thoughts of the one that got away or ones that got away. And that was because by the time I was in my mid-20s, um, I'd had a number of failed attempts at love. and. Um, I was living in New York City, pursuing my interest in theater and acting, and the ratio of um, castings versus rejections, it's so steep that as an actor in New York City, you, you have to develop a tough skin while still balancing um, the, uh, maintaining the sensitivity of an artist. So. Um, I, I remember having um, kind of a landmark conversation with my roommate at the time who was lamenting the fact that he had um, not been 
uh, cast uh, in a project that he really he felt was going to turn his career as an actor around. He'd gotten so close um, to being cast that he, he could almost taste the money. And um, he could, uh, you know, he was imagining the connections that he was going to make and, you know, in advancing his career forward. And I don't think that I really gave him the um, sympathy that he was looking for when I said this. And in retrospect, I think it was really meant for me. Um, I remember telling him, um, there's no such thing as shoulda, coulda, or woulda. There's only um, what is, what actually happens. And when it comes down to it, um, things that almost happened and didn't, does, does that really advance you in your, your thought process? Does that really fuel you in your life? Um, so that was one way that I really consciously kind of uh, crystallized my thought toward towards the whole idea of the one that got away. But I have to admit that there was somebody that, um, that I, he really, he stuck in my head. And I, I viewed him as the one that got away for quite some time. And um, yeah, we, we kind of, we found each other when I was visiting Alaska, when I was still living on the East Coast. and. I was on my way to go fishing. And that summer, we kind of chased each other <laughs> around the state. And he even came and visited me in New York City uh, that winter. And it, it was nothing but fun. And I think that had a lot to do with the fact that we weren't trying to define our relationship, because we knew that there really wasn't a relationship that was possible because my life was on the East Coast and his life was in Alaska. But thoughts of him stayed with me. Um, and when I found myself back in Alaska and single, I sought him out. And of course, he was with somebody. But um, when he found himself single, he sought me out. And I did my best to console him in his breakup. And months later, when I was confident that we were both ready to test the waters, I went after him. I, I went after the one that got away. And our, our lives started intertwining and weaving together. And um, we had a child. And we tried really hard to love each other for quite a few years. And... <laughs> We, we found that we did not love each other in ways that either of us understood. And we finally got to the point where we just had to let go. It was time. And so as you can see, I guess what I'm illustrating here is that the, the whole concept of the one that got away, it doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't seem to work for me. But in exploring this, this whole idea of the one that got away. Um, I tried to find a way that the, the thought worked for me. And I, um, so I kind of turned it around. I tried to reorient it towards uh, not, 
not something that almost happened but didn't, but something that almost didn't happen and did. And if I hadn't gone after that fish, we wouldn't have our son. And the, the net outcome of the joy that he has brought to our lives, it far outweighs any of the pain that, that we gave each other. I know that is true in my heart. And, and I've, I really, the thing that really propels me forward in my life is the whole thought of, um, where, that's where the wonder of life dwells, in the things that almost didn't happen, but did. Our next speaker is Bob Bassett. Bob's life experience continues to evolve daily. His professional career includes, but is not limited to, the following. Working with troubled youth, as a retired senior adult intensive probation officer, a psychotherapist at a hospital for the terminally ill, an HIV AIDS counselor slash educator slash phlebotomist. He currently works at REACH as a direct service professional. On the other spiritual side of Bob's life, he has worked as a Native American chaplain slash spiritual advisor for a state agency. He's also an instructor for volunteer relief workers at the American Red Cross. Please help me welcome Bob. Okay, um, before I get started, we'll get started with this. Nishak Yohat Wasak Yates Hotsvi Gunaktiri Ayahat. That's my Clinket name and Clinket. And it's also my Moiti clan, and it's also my name in Mohawk, trans translated into Mohawk. Um, when they asked me to talk, or come up here and talk, I thought, okay, well, I've got, you know, I initially, I heard, you know, talk about situations when we got away, so I'm thinking, okay, it's the... It's the probationee I had that I brought to the emergency room who was a heroin addict who um, was trying to kick heroin and he didn't have the money to buy the medication so I was hoping the doctor give it to him. The doctor's going to write him a script. He didn't have the money for this script. So I went to the pharmacy with him. I put down the $20 to buy him his methadone. Um, then I thought, well, or I could talk about the first patient this hospital, Uncle Williams Hospital had um, the, who had HIV and, and AIDS, and she passed away, but I couldn't get any of her family members to come in, because that was in the late 80s, and back then you only had HIV if you were gay, a prostitute, or a heroin addict. So she died very alone. Um, so there's all these, these, like, these things that I can think about other people. Native American, uh, one of the founders or writers of the Native American um, Indian Welfare or Child Act, Chikutuna, uh, who's a uh, Wampanoag from uh, Cape Cod, Mass, and he used to tell me that uh, he used to say, you know, call me sometimes call me boy. He said, you know, boy, we had it all wrong. I said, well, what, what happened? He said, well, when when they came over in the Mayflower, we should have turned around and sent them back because they didn't have their green card. He's, and then one day I went to see him because he was, and when I was a, when I was working at the hospital, 
at the HIV clinic. I saw it on my shirt and tie and my hospital ID. So I got worried that he was doing very poorly. So I went to Boston to the New England Medical Center and went through to see him. And so the nurses are in and they're all running around him and whatnot. And so I step out of his room for a minute. And the nurse comes running out of the room and she turns to me and she says, Doctor, we need this certain procedure. And she named the procedure. I don't remember it now, but we need this procedure done. And I looked at her and I'm like, um, I said, well, if you notice, this is from Bacchus Hospital in Norwich, Connecticut. This isn't from, from Boston. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, somebody, doctor, she, off she runs. So I went afterwards, I went back in. I said, hey, listen, I almost had the opportunity to perform some kind of procedure, possibly surgery on you. And his eyes all back in his head. And he said, well, time, time for you to go now. <laughs> we don't want them to get confused again. So there's all these different stories, these different scenarios. Koyan mother in Onondaga, who uh, I went to see her, and she was, in, after I was worked all day at the probation office, excuse me, and uh, got there around 9, 9.30 at night, and she insisted on cooking me dinner. The woman's in her 80s and is a severe diabetic. And so I went to her little log cabin, and she insisted on cooking me dinner. So came, then we get all done, we're all done talking. It's close to 11 o'clock, almost midnight. I roll my sleeping bag on her couch. She was kind of short. It was actually a love seat, but she called it her couch. So I roll it out, and I said, oh, and she said, what are you doing? I was like, I'm getting ready to go to sleep. I said, uh, if you don't want me to sleep, if I can sleep on the floor. I've slept on the floor before. It doesn't matter to me. No, you take the back room. I said, but that's your bedroom. She said, yeah. I said, you're a clan mother, you have diabetes. You are, you, the clan mothers in on, on the Haudenosaunee reservation, the traditional ones, um, they're the ones who elect the chiefs and take the chiefs out of office. Okay, so they have a very important, powerful role. They also help to determine the ceremonies. So I'm thinking, I, how can I take your bed? And she said, it's because I am a clan mother, you have to take the bed. Basically, she pulled the trump card. I had to do what she said. So. So there's all these, these stories. Oh, and this, I, didn't, I wasn't rolling around in a hayfield or anything like that. This is uh, Sage from uh, South Dakota. I uh, Sundance with the Yankton Sioux, so um, it's supposed to help protect at times when you're feeling most vulnerable. So if, if I have to go to surgery, I, I put it back there. Surgeons don't touch it. And, and, if, uh, and of course, when they go to prep me, they look at my back and my chest, they say, how many surgeries have you had? I was only surgeries, just this or that one. But you're back, oh, that's something different. I'll tell you what, go look it up online. Lakota, sacred Sundance ceremony Lakota, or whatever, and you'll find out what that's. So you look up, like, oh, okay. So it's, don't worry, I haven't had a ton of surgeries. So that's what the sage is about. Oh, thank God, it's almost done. So <laughs> So when they asked me to talk about it, I'm like, well, what do I talk about? The one that got away. So is it the person that died and no longer is in pain and misery in the hospital? Is it the probationee that no longer is you know, on probation? Is it the prisoners I worked with in the prisons back east? They call it chaplain. I don't particularly like that term, but that's a term that they put all the people that do spiritual work in the prisons under. So, um, so anyway. so. Do I talk about those folks and how I'm still involved with some of them, even though I'm 3,000 miles away? I, what do I, you know, what do I talk about? How do I, how do I do this? And then when someone said to me, "Well, talk about yourself," it's like, 
well, it could be the fact that I almost died in a motorcycle accident. I was, at that point, I had, was going for, towards my doctorate. I uh, was working full-time for this state, not this state, another state, as a senior intensive supervision probation officer, worked at an HIV clinic. I worked at a hospital for a terminally ill part-time and had a private practice. And next thing you know, I'm laying in bed in a coma for six days. I can't work full-time for over a year. So go figure. So life has a whole bunch of shades of gray. There's no black or white, just some darker points than others. So it's kind of like, basically that's, it's just, it's just so much. So how do you fit that in seven minutes? Hopefully I did a good enough job. Is it over with yet? <laughs> How's that for timing? Our last slot before our 15-minute intermission will be shared by Sage Richards, who's 10 years old, and, and his sister, Evelyn Richards, who's eight. And I think we're going to start with Sage. We're going to do one at a time. Is that right? Looking for mom. All right. Come on up there. This is Sage. He's, he's excited to start, huh? 10 years old, young man, born in Juneau, Alaska. He goes to Gastineau School and is in fifth grade. He likes to read, he's interested in comedy, he's a skier and he's a wrestler, and he went second place for his weight class in the state championships. All right. When I was a little kid, I was a binky boy. I like my binkies. I had one in my mouth, one in and one in each hand at all times. And one day after I'd gotten off the pot, my mom said Say goodbye to Poo Poo. So I said, good. And then my favorite binky fell out of my mouth and into the toilet that was swirling around going into the sewer. <laughs> and my mom almost reached and grabbed it and then pulled her hand out. And then almost grabbed it and then pulled her hand out. <laughs> and, and then she said, bye bye binky. That night when my dad was reading my, me my, one of my favorite bedtime stories about a little kid who had lost his binky and it tells you everywhere where he looks for the binky. And so my dad was reading it and he s said, is binky in the kitchen? No. Is Binky in the forest? No. Is Binky in the bed? No. Does Dad have Binky? Does Mom have Binky? Is Binky in the... <laughs> closet? <laughs> no, no, no. 
And on the second to last page it said, Is Binky in the party? And I said, Yes! Yes! And that's the Binky that got away. to believe because she's so tall. But this girl, Evelyn Richards, is eight years old. She's in third grade at Gastonau School. She likes to sing in the choir, write songs, and read, ski, snowboard, play basketball, soccer, and dance. She also wrestles with her brother to keep his skills up. <laughs> she likes to hike with her family. This is Evelyn. When I was really little, I took after my brother and I loved my binkies. I had one in my hand and one in my other hand and one in my mouth at all times. And when I went to bed, I would have to have at least six around me. And my mom thought that I should have gotten, should get off my binkies before he did because he had a hard time getting off of them. And, and so he had a brother, I mean, a a friend who had a newborn baby sister, maybe two weeks old, and her name was Valerie. And so my mom said, okay, Evelyn, it's time to give the binkies to the baby. And so we wrapped them and washed them all special and we delivered them. And when we got home, it was nap time. And when I woke up from a nap, I was usually the best-natured little kid, but um, but I was just two years old, so I did not realize what I had just done. I had just given away all of my binkies, and I cried and cried, and finally I fell asleep. And in the morning, I said two words, and then it was over. Valerie, take. <laughs> And those were the binkies that got away. You're listening to a recording of Mudrooms, Juno's live storytelling event on KTOO News Juno. These stories were recorded on September 9, 2015, at the Northern Light United Church. The theme for the evening was The One That Got Away. Curious? Visit mudrooms.org. Our next speaker tonight is Trevor Wade. Trevor is California-grown, but comes to Alaska by way of New York City, where he enjoyed rampant, su <laughs> rampant success as a storyteller, comedian, and improviser while serving coffee. By a stroke of luck, he met a wonderful girl and followed her to Juneau, where, he's, where he enjoys moderate success as a tour guide sipping coffee. Please help me welcome Trevor. So I'd like to preface this story by saying that if it were not a the one that got away story, I would not have met the one that brought me to Alaska. So 
Upon graduating from college, I realized that there were no stamps decorating my passport. I felt it was time to broaden my horizons, so in that spirit, I purchased a plane ticket to the exotic island of England. Because I wanted to broaden my horizons, but not if I had to overcome a language barrier. And so I touched down at Heathrow and took a train to Oxford, where I was going to rendezvous with a friend whose couch I was crashing on. And the town is entrenched in history. It's literally littered with castles. I just had to find the castle my princess was in. So I walk into this old guardhouse that's been redone up into a visitor center. And I, I walk up to the tourist booth, where this kindly-looking man is standing behind where they plugged up the murder holes where they used to pour boiling oil over marauding foreigners. <laughs> said, hello, I'm uh, looking for a friend of mine. She's studying at one of the colleges here. He said, no, she's not. <laughs> oh, I had so many questions. What happened to Holly? Who was this Cheshire Anglican who knew what fates befell collegiate Americans? What is the British equivalent of 911? How many shillings are in a pound? <laughs> said, your friend is studying at one of the colleges here. I said, ah, all right, ah. Uh, which college is she studying at? Uh, Magdalen College. No. Are you American? He growled at me from behind a fog of inbred monarchy. <laughs> Why, yes, I am. Your friend is studying at Magdalen College. Is it spelt the same as Magdalen College? I, says he. Is, are these maps complimentary? I, says he. Goodbye, says I. I take a map and I drop off my uh, stuff at Holly's flat or dorm or Big Ben or whatever you call it. And uh, we take a train into Stratford-upon-Avon where little Willie Shakespeare, son of a glove maker, uh, was born, died, bought a house, not in that order. And uh, I have to get there a few hours ahead of Holly, so I'm waiting for her and I'm just sitting on the steps of the RSC Theater watching all the swans in the River Avon. And I see this middle-aged pudgy man wearing a ruff. I think, hey, Nani Nani, it's William Shakespeare. <laughs> so I join his group, and he's too English to tell me, you know, it's a private tour. So I'm walking along, and <laughs> there's this girl, and she's taking photos, and she, I notice her, and she notices me noticing her, and I notice her notice me noticing her, and she notices me noticing her noticing her, and we both look away and pretend not to notice. <laughs> and we look back. And so at the end of Billy Shakey's tour, I figure I'll screw my courage to the sticking place. And I walk up to her and I say, hi, what's your name? And she does not speak a word of English. <laughs> I had run smack dab into the language barrier. And so I apologize and I mumble away to go kick a stone and look at the swans. And I feel this tap on my shoulder. And I turn and she's standing there smiling. She hands me a slip of paper with an email address on it. So I take it, and when I get back to the internet, I send her an email, and through the miracle of Google Translator, we're able to set up plans to meet in Warwick, a few towns over. Uh, I take a train in on the day, and I go to meet her, and uh, I suss out from her email that her name is Natalia, and it uh, turns out she's from Belarus. So uh, uh, we're you know, talking uh, through a, uh, a great game of charades. I figure out that she's either a painter or an orchestra conductor. <laughs> And uh, she's there with her grandfather or a man who turns a crank. 
and we're traipsing about the castle, and the best part about Warwick is it's got a legitimate castle, not like a little Cinderella playset, but a huge piss-off fortress made of stone with battlements and magic and knights and peacocks, and it's great. And we're walking along, and I notice that Natalia is running her hands over everything. She's touching, you know, cannonballs and other tourists and uh, <laughs> looking behind curtains and opening drawers, and I figure, oh, she's kinesthetic. We need to get a more hands-on approach to communication. So I, <laughs> I grab her hand, and I give it a squeeze. She gives it a squeeze back. I give it a squeeze back, and she really squeezes it. She's got a grip like a guillotine, and I, I, I try and squeeze back, and eventually she relinquishes my hand, and uh, I say, good? And she goes, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So we're having a good time, and we head upstairs where I see a paunchy middle-aged man wearing a ruff, and I think, hey, Tudor, Tudor, it's Henry VIII. And he goes, you put a ring on that girl's finger. And I figure, you're not the guy to be giving relationship advice. <laughs> and so we continue upstairs, and we're walking, and we find ourselves in the master bedroom. And uh, I see her leaning out the window, and I... Think, you know, seize the moment, and I, I tap her, and she turns around, and I, I lean in, and she goes, uh, no, bad. I go, oh, God, I'm sorry, and I mutter away, trying to figure out the Belarusian word for unwanted advance, and I feel like an idiot, and I'm just walking through the rose garden, looking at the stupid peacocks, and then I feel this tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, she's standing there, she closes her eyes, I lean in, and we have one of those first kisses that you just sort of fall into, where words and country and time, they all just fade away, and we accomplish everything that language gets in the way of. Uh, it's so much harder to lie with a touch than it is with a sentence. I think that's probably why we call the experience of contacting something with our skin feeling. And we pull back, and I, I walk her to the cafe where the man who turns the crank is going to pick her up. and. <laughs> We get a kiss for the road, you know, and it's starting to rain, and uh, I say, you know, uh, it was nice meeting you, Natalia. And she says, call me Natasha. <laughs> and I taste the word, Natasha. And I, I, I have to leave her behind in the rain to, get, to catch my train on time. And I run through the rain to, uh, and I don't feel the downpour because I'm drunk on language. And I finally get back to the station and I realize I've missed my train. Uh, it was the last one of the night, so I figure, what are you going to do? I'll wait for the next one. And I sit down and the station attendant comes up to me and he goes, Oi, what are you doing? I'm waiting for the train. He goes, no, you're not. Okay. <laughs> Another one of these. <laughs> Say, yes, I am. I, I know it's not until morning, but I missed the last one, and I can't afford a taxi back to Oxford, and I can't afford a hotel, so I'm just waiting for the next train. <laughs> and he goes, look, I'd, uh, I'd love to have you stay, but uh, we get ruffians around this part these time of night. You know, pubs let out, and they come, and they smash stuff up. And I go, oh, uh, what should I do? He goes, look, you look like a nice kid, so I'll let you into the waiting station. And he opens up this little uh, square cubicle with cement floors and benches and everything. And, you know, it's not my own bed, and it's not Holly's couch, but it's not nothing. 
And right before he locks me in for the night, I turn back and I go, thank you. He says, cheers. And thank you all for listening. Have a good night. <laughs> Joe Nelson graduated from Yakutat High School in 1988, UCLA in 1996, and 1998, this must be a typo. So he graduated from Yakutat High School in 1988, no, <laughs> that's not funny, but uh, UCLA in 1996 and 1998, and Loyola Law School in 2001. He has worked at the University of Alaska Southeast and served on the Sea Alaska and Yakutat Quam boards of directors for more than a decade. He lives in downtown Juneau with his wife and three kids. He's a lifelong Democrat, although he did not vote for Dukakis in 1988. <laughs> and he learned how to spell M-U-R-K-O-W-S-K-I in 2010. Please welcome Joe Nelson. Thank you, Amanda. So the one that got away, just by a show of hands, who was in Juneau, living in Juneau in 2009, in the room here? So the story and the invite, um, uh, I had a prompt that, gave, that was given to me even ahead of time as a thought to, to tell the story. And for those of you that were here, this story, and the reason I got pulled up here um, is, Something that some of you, most of you, probably had some familiarity with. Uh, it was above the fold news for about two days in 2009. How many people still read a paper that folds? Um, we're going to start losing what that means pretty soon here. But it was above the fold for a couple days in 2009. We had a um, senator who left Juneau to go work in D.C. for the Obama administration. And that's why the introduction had the comments about being a Democrat. Uh, and uh, an opening happened. And for those of you, just to recall, uh, and those that aren't, weren't here, uh, just process-wise, when there is an opening, the governor, the job of the governor, when there's a vacancy midterm, the governor is supposed to appoint somebody to fill that seat from that district from the same party. Um, simple enough. It happens as a matter of course every now and then and it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, but here's the rub. 2009. Uh, downtown Democrat, our broad Democrat seat here with our then governor, 2009. <laughs> Sarah Palin. Uh, still in the news. So it is um, a comedy that you can imagine. Um, uh, with the Republican Governor Palin needing to appoint a Democrat to fill a seat here in, in Juneau. And, and folks who are around um, kind of witnessed the, uh, quite an interesting time that we're still living with, unfortunately, today um, in the media and social media and other things. So as I wrestled with this story, and I knew there might be some interest to tell this story downtown Juneau, um, but so much of it is... Um, uh, I, I guess fairly mundane and not pretty politics, and uh, I thought of all the little quirks along the way. I was, I was going through what felt like literally at the time a circus of this appointment process because I did, um, my name got pulled into the pool there. Um, so I had the little interview with Governor Palin, uh, name got put forward, then it's up to nine Senate 
Democrats to vote on it. They'd already kicked out the guy before. Um, he didn't make it. I'm in round two. Got quickly kicked out, um, chewed up and kicked out the door. The Democrats and um, our governor were not agreeing on something. Um, surprise, surprise. Um, and as I thought about the story there and sort of the politics there and some of the funny things to me were um, largely about um, the media kind of looking with um, kind of scary grins on them, chasing me around, looking for some magical strings with Sarah Palin pulling these strings behind me, trying to figure this mystery out of why, why, why this, uh, why me? Why is this guy here? Why, is, why, 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 is, why him? Um, I, I thought more of the real story really is that was the story that I should tell a little more about. Why, why me? Why this native kid from the village um, with a lot of diplomas on the wall? One did come in 96, one did come in 98. That's called an undergraduate degree and a master's degree. <laughs> and then a, a law degree. And, and then passed the bar and practiced law for a little while in Juneau here. And really see that there's... Um, bigger fish to fry. There's plenty of attorneys in this town. And as I looked at the docket uh, on the criminal records uh, weekly, I, I just couldn't do that type of work, make a living out of it. It just wasn't fulfilling. I quickly and easily got recruited to work at the university. Um, and as I thought about this story, uh, I thought of the ones that got away and why I'm here really goes back to that community of Yakutat. And that whole community for my entire life expected me to do big things. And it's largely because of three men who died before I was seven. So for me, those were the three men that got away. Uh, my father was a successful businessman, hunter, uh, in Yakutat community leader. Uh, my namesake, my uncle Joe, he was known as the funniest guy in town um, and the toughest guy in town at the same time. Yeah, he passed away when I was a kid. And then Kahoku, my Clinket name, came from our last um, traditional brown bear takeaway chief in Yakutat. And he gave that to me right before he passed away. And um, they all died before I was young. So for me, those, those, those gentlemen, everybody in the community related to me since I was that, whole, that tall through one of those, those giants and expected me to do big things because those men all did these big things. And I inherited a big legacy. And... Uh, still been struggling to live up to it today. Um, so that's, that's what, for me, those are the ones that got away. And, and as I think of the life I lived, you know, um, the other part that got away was I lived in LA for a lot of years. I left the little village, Yakutat. Um, I passed up, you know, Stanford, Dartmouth, and Berkeley because LA has sandy beaches and 70 plus degree weather with everything that comes with it that any other 18 year old young man would. Um, <laughs> say that's a no-brainer no and and along the way I collected all those degrees um, so that corporate life living being an attorney in LA that got away being a beach bum got away but the other thing that got away was the village life in Yakutat um, just living off the land and living a more real holistic life there and it's because uh, this curse of all these degrees I collected along the way that I ended up being stuck here in this town. Um, but last show of hands for anybody who has uh, a young person who they know that grew up in this community or in the state and is now living in the 48 um, just with huge potential. 
that, that grew up here and moved out of state, this brain drain. And if you think of that person's name and those people, those, those people, those are the ones that got away in my mind, and that's why I'm settled here working at the university, to reel those folks back, bring our talent back, uh, and, and hopefully encourage them all to vote, encourage them all to be engaged. Uh, so I thank you for the invite tonight, and um, I appreciate the efforts of everybody here, and I appreciate the cause. So that's why I accepted this invite, was largely um, the mission and the goodwill in this community and where the money's going. Thank you. Our final speaker of the evening is Tori Talley. For her bio, Tori asked her friends to say one thing about her in a sentence. Here's the result. Tori is currently a student at UAS with no real idea of what she's going to major in. She is a nature and animal-loving weirdo, but in the good way. She's an avid hiker who likes to have intellectual conversations about the finer things in life. Tori is known for her extremely eclectic slash weird taste in music. She's an adventure addict and wannabe traveler whose next stop is Costa Rica for a volunteer trip. Tori tries to live organically and eco-friendly and is obsessed with adding spinach, not kale, spinach to basically everything. Please help me welcome Tori. Okay, so before I start my story, I'm gonna tell you one little thing about myself. I'm extremely impulsive. Like the first thought that comes to mind, I run with it and there's no talking me out of it. And also, I change my mind really quickly. Like I go so fast, it's unbelievable. Okay, so a couple months ago, my parents went out of town and asked me to stay behind and take care of their house and pets and car. And so for a poor college student, this is great because I get my house and I get to use their car. And a couple months ago, I did not have my own car. So this meant a lot of freedom for me, which is great because I love doing outdoorsy things. And so that meant I got to go out the road or out North Douglas. And so on this particular Thursday night, I decided that I was going to go bike Herbert Glacier. And I was going to take my little, my parents' 10-pound schnoodle, which is a schnauzer poodle mix, with me. And just for the record, she is not a good protecting dog. She is afraid of bubbles and chickens and plastic bags. She will not protect you from anything. And so we get in the car and start driving out to Herbert Glacier. And in the back of my mind, you know, when your parent's voice comes in your head, and my mom came into my head saying, Tori, don't go out by yourself. But, I mean, it's Juno. What's the worst that can happen? I've never run into any kind of bad people or anything when I'm out on the trails. So I ignored it, but I actually texted a friend just so someone knew where I was. And I texted my friend and told her what time I was leaving and when to be back. And we got out to Herbert Glacier. And it was about 6.20, and so it's like, okay, I can be back there and back by 8 o'clock. This will be perfect. And I see one other car, and so I just, like, prepared myself. Okay, so I'll probably see someone else on the trail. This will be perfect. Uh, didn't worry about it too much again because I'd never had a problem with anyone on trails. I'd never seen a creepy person. I'd, I'd gone out by myself plenty of times, and I had my guard dog, Pepper. And so 
Um, I took off my bike and we started biking down the trail and by now it's 6.30, you know, so it's getting darker and it's cloudy, but not raining, so beautiful Juno day. And we get in the woods and it's completely roofed over, you know, like, so it's even darker in the woods. And I pulled over to take pictures for Instagram, obviously, of the Devil's Club, because it was really beautiful and this, the lighting was good, so I stopped and realized like, wow, the Devil's Club, that's really, like we have, live in a really lush, beautiful place. Like you really can't see through there. But again, I didn't, wasn't thinking anything of it. And so I get back on my bike and continue biking on and I'm about two miles into the bike ride and I'm thinking like, it's kind of weird. I haven't seen people coming back and they didn't have a bike rack or anything, a little tiny car, so they're not biking. So I'm wondering like, I should have run into someone by now, but it's just kind of a fleeting thought, didn't think too much of it. So I keep on biking and probably half mile in, I see something like a couple hundred feet ahead. I see some man is what it looks like in the side, like right in the kind of lush, beautiful devil's club. And I see like a big guy, like it looks like he's wearing big old Carhartts. And so I was like, that's weird. I... Like, okay, maybe he's picking berries because it's, it's that time, but I'm not gonna, I didn't really think much of it, and I get a little bit closer, and I see two black bears, or not black bears, I see two dogs running around him. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's like, maybe they're just having fun, like, but he's in the middle of like Devil's Club, that cannot be comfortable. And so I kind of ignore it and I keep biking. And then all of a sudden I realize this guy is like folded over on himself. And so I'm out in the woods by myself and it's probably 7, 7.30. And so I don't know exactly what to do. So I'm like, okay, you know, he could be a serial killer because that's where serial killers hide in the middle of the woods. So... <laughs> I'm not going to stop and I'm just going to put my dog on the other side because there's the two labs running around him and we're just going to bike past him, not look at him, but we're going to scream, hey, how are you? Because that's a nice Juno thing to do. So I speed past him. <laughs> I speed past him as fast as I can, which is not very fast, but not looking at him, I scream, hi, how are you? And I don't get a reply. And so I scream, hello, like kind of annoyed because that's kind of rude not to reply. And um, so we're about 200 feet past I'm like okay now something's wrong and so I ditch my bike and I like he's like he must be passed out in the woods how do you pass out in the woods but anyways and so I am like trying to remember my CPR training and my first aid and I don't remember any of it and I'm like I, I can't give this guy mouth to mouth I don't have one of those protective bag thingies and <sighs> he's a really big guy I can't carry him back and oh my God, someone's gonna die on my watch. Like, can't you go to jail for that? And I'm just like, oh my God. And I'm walking over at him and really worried about this guy who I've determined is no longer a serial killer. Um, and so I'm walking over to him, not paying attention to him, trying to get my dog to stay back because she's afraid of all living things and would be afraid of his animals. And so by now I'm like sprinting over to him, like he needs my help. I'm gonna see if he's passed out, what's the matter? So I run over to him and I reach out to this guy and all of a sudden, one of his dogs darts up the tree right next to him. And I'm like... <sighs> and so I, like, I have never seen a dog do that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the other one darts up another tree, and that's like 
two of them. He must have trained them really well. Like, I can't, like... And so then I'm like, what, that... Dogs don't do that, but another animal does. <laughs> and so I'm about three feet away from this big old guy, and my hand's in the devil's club. And I look over at him, and he turns his head around. It's a mama bear, and those were her two cubs. <laughs> I just ran out of mama bear and her two cubs. So as I'm starting to tear up and <laughs> shaking, and oh my god, I'm, I'm going to die. It's a serial killer of a different type. It's mad at me. <laughs> I slowly back up and say, it's okay, it's okay, we're okay, this is good, this is good. <laughs> I back up, I take about 15 steps back and the mom gets up and puffs up her chest and looks at me and then turns around and the babies follow. And I <laughs> thank the Lord. And so I pick up my dog and get on my bike and book it back to my house, well, to the car, actually, book it back to the car, and I realized I'm so lucky to have been the one that got away. that I don't fall in love with you Cause falling in love just makes me blue well, the music This is KTOO News Juno 104.3 FM The stories you just heard were recorded on September 9th, 2015 The theme for the evening was The One That Got Away to tell your story or to find out when you can attend the next live event, visit mudrooms.org. Audio production by Rich Moniak and Kristen Stouter, with additional help from Alita Bus, Tom Cosgrove, Pat Roach, and Steve Suing. I'm Amanda Compton. Have a good night. And I wonder, should I offer you a chair? If you sit down with this old clown Take that frown and break it Before the evening's gone away I think that we can make it I hope that I don't fall in love with you I can see that you are lonesome just like me Being late, you like some company.